It's such a joy to be back together with you this morning. It's such a joy to, to hear you sing this morning, church, uh, just to hear you sing about the great name of Jesus Christ. Uh, was so encouraging this morning. I trust that you were encouraged as well as we uh, turn to the study of God's Word together. So I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to continue our study through the Great Commission uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so so excited again to have all of the kids in here with us, brothers and sisters. It's going to be a little bit louder this morning. It's going to be a little bit more wiggly, and uh, we just trust that uh, the Lord is going to speak and move. And so as you're just trying to figure out what to do with your kids in here, just be encouraged. Parents, uh, we know it's going to be loud, and we know it's going to be distracting in some ways, but we trust that the Lord is going to do His work. And then for all of you who don't have kids, who are going to have the tendency to be so frustrated, <laughs> Uh, just know how hard it is on these parents and just show as much grace and mercy as you can toward them because we know uh, this is a big thing. And yet, uh, beloved, it is such a joy to be able to have them in here with us and to be able to see the discipleship process continue to work and to go forward. And so uh, we are in the Great Commission series. I'm going to read all three verses for us this morning, and then I'm gonna go, we are going to go to the Lord in prayer. It says this, And Jesus said unto them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the call of Jesus Christ. Lord, that he has called men and women to himself and saved them by his sacrificial death. And Lord, that in that, we can have a right relationship with you. So this morning, as we study your word together and as we look to see what you would have for us, Lord, I pray that your word would be clear and that your call upon our lives would be known. And God, that we would be faithful to you. We love you and it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the second uh, kind of part of the Great Commission, and it's very simply this, uh, the words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so our main point this morning is this, that Jesus is recreating the world through disciples with changed hearts, all right? Kids, Jesus is recreating the world through disciples with changed hearts, Uh, Now, that's our main point, and the reason that I bring that up is because I want to tie this to our bigger idea for the Great Commission series, and so I would ask that our bigger idea is put up on on the screen, and it's this, that God is bringing everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ and moving all creation through the cross to the new creation where his presence will dwell forever and you get to be a part of it. Now, last week, we talked about just the first part of that big idea we talked about uh, where it says that that God is bringing everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We talked about in the Great Commission where it said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we said that this is how Jesus is setting up his kingdom. We talked about what the authority of Jesus Christ looks like, that it is good for his people and that it means peace and joy all over the world. And so we talked about how this is about Jesus setting up his kingdom. And so this morning, we're going to start talking about uh, what that process looks like. How is Christ doing that? And the answer that we have is that he is recreating the world through disciples with changed hearts. 
Now, the question this morning is, why is this important? Why is it important that we understand that Jesus is recreating the world? Well, a little bit last week, we talked about the question of what is God doing in the world? What is he doing in the face of tragedy? What is he doing in the face of chaos and war and calamity and everything that seems to be going wrong in the world? And we said that he is doing this. He's doing the work of the Great Commission. And part of that work is ultimately his recreating process of all things. You see, Jesus is the creator God. He is the one who has the power and the authority to recreate everything. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that everything was created by the word of God. And we know that to be Christ himself, that he has done the work of creating, and now he is doing the work of recreating. You see, brothers and sisters, only God has that power, and that power is expressed through Jesus Christ. You see, here's the thing. When the church gets on board with this, brothers and sisters, we can see incredible things happen. When the church understands that Jesus is the one who is recreating all things, we can see how this can have an impact upon everything around us. I think about, this, about the book of Daniel and the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How in that story, these were men who were committed uh, by hearts, focused on the work of God. And in that, it had a profound impact on the culture around them. And so the thing that we want to see is how Christ is doing that even now. See, the Great Commission um, is the h- most hopeful way for us to see change in the world today. Apart from systems, apart from governments, apart from structures, what we need more than anything else is the recreating power of Jesus Christ. We need him to do the work of ultimately changing all things for his glory and for his name. Nothing will stand uh, under the weight of that power. But Christ has that ability. And so in order for us to kind of see how all of this ties together with the bigger redemption story that, that God is painting all throughout history, we need to understand where this, this purpose of creation and the purpose of, of Christ's people, of God's people, finds its beginning. You see, it starts as, as God places Adam and Eve in the garden, and he places them in his place with his purpose. He places them in the garden to spread the glory of God all over the face of the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, uh, the Bible says that, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Now we call this the cultural mandate that God has given to man, uh, to, to Adam and Eve, to mankind, the work of establishing his glory over the entire face of the earth that he has given them work, that he has given them a job, that he has given them a purpose. And that purpose is to spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And in that, we see that 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 work involved them having a job. They, They had dominion over the fish of the sea, over the land, and over everything that walked on the land. And their job was to work it and to keep it after the manner that God had commanded them. 
And so this was the, the creation of the world. It was the purpose of humanity that in what we were meant and called to do was to spread the glory of God all over the face of the world. And so in that, brothers and sisters, each and every one of us finds our purpose in what God created us to do. When you consider what you are here to do in this world, it is exactly that, to spread God's glory all over the face of the earth, to build culture, to work the land, to keep the ground, to consider how we might do all of this for the glory of God. And the picture that we see here is that God has created man and woman, and he has placed them in a kingdom. Brothers and sisters, the garden was this beautiful picture of God's presence being with his people and what that can mean for the people of God. They were placed within a kingdom. They had a purpose. And yet, as we know, as the story goes, that they sinned, that Adam and Eve failed that they did not follow after what the Lord had called them to, but ultimately they broke God's commandment and they sinned against him. Because of that, it has had effects upon all of creation. You see, because of Adam and Eve's sin, God has cursed uh, the land. He has cursed childbearing. He has cursed work. And in all of those things, we experience the brokenness of this world. Now, here's the thing. What I think is so incredible about this great commission is that uh, it says here, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And the beauty of that is the cosmic scope of what Christ is doing. Christ is not just concerned with one people in one place, but he is concerned with all people in all places. And the beauty of Christ's response to sin is that that was the effect of sin, that sin has affected all people in all places. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back and trace the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, you would see that God's curses placed because of sin don't just stop in Genesis chapter 3, but they actually continue all through Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 4, God curses the line of Cain. In Genesis chapter 7, God curses all of humanity in the flood. And then in Genesis chapter 11, God curses our language and splits people up into nations. Now, the incredible thing about that is that that was very purposeful. That the Bible actually says in Genesis chapter 11 is as, the, as, as all of the people of the earth were gathered together to, to build the Tower of Babel, that apart from them being separated over the face of the earth, that there was no length that humanity might go to in their rebellion against God. And so in order to keep them from doing that, he separated them by nation, by language, and by tongue, and by tribe. Brothers and sisters, this is where we get all of the enmity and strife among nations in our world today. This is where we get all of the the frustration and bitterness toward people who are not like us, toward people who don't look like us, who don't speak like us, who don't act like us. All of this began because of the sin of mankind and ultimately as God cursed us with language and people groups and nations, we experience all war and tragedy as men war and fight against one another. But here's the beauty of the gospel. It's that in Christ's recreating work, he is bringing all nations back together under the work of Jesus Christ. 
And so he has done all of this. But we still have that first commandment, Christ or God telling his people to be fruitful and multiply. But what we see throughout the rest of the story of the Bible is that that command in the gospel now becomes a promise. That instead of God commanding Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, he now says to his people, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply you. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 4, God speaks to Joseph or to Jacob and says, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you of a company of peoples, and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. See, this command that God has told his people to do now becomes a promise that God is the one to do it. He is the one who's going to reestablish and to recreate the world after his own purpose and plan. And what we see in that, brothers and sisters, is that Christ is ultimately the fulfillment of that. That in Jesus Christ and in the Great Commission, in the New Testament, The cultural mandate that God placed upon all people has now been merged with the Great Commission and they are now one. That the purpose that humanity had before the fall is now realized in this call for mankind to make disciples of all nations. Brothers and sisters, Christ is fulfilling the purpose that Adam had as the better Adam as the true son of man, as the one who ultimately overturns the curse. He is fulfilling the purpose that each and every one of us has. And he's doing that through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through making disciples of all nations. God is reestablishing his purpose for his people through Jesus Christ. And he is spreading this out all over the world. Now, the real question is this, why is this important? It's important because now the gospel has the power to transform the world and to change all things. Brothers and sisters, it is the gospel that has the power to change and transform all things. It is the power of Christ at work in sinful hearts that we can now realize all of these things that we hope for. And in Jesus Christ doing this work, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he is recreating everything that we see through the power and work of his death. The beauty of this, brothers and sisters, is what we see in the book of Acts when it is said of the apostles that they are turning the world upside down. We see what the power of the gospel has to recreate and to change the world after the purpose and work of Jesus Christ. You see this, it's that now all of our purposes, all of our work must be redirected toward what Christ has truly called us to do. What Christ has truly called us to do. Brothers and sisters, what you do in your nine to five is important. It's important because as you work for the glory of God, you have uh, the power to make a great impact on society and culture around you, but it pales in comparison to the work that you do in your church by making disciples. Brothers and sisters, do you realize 
that what the Great Commission has done, and it has now reordered everything about our lives toward this purpose. It's not to say that nothing else in the world is important, that there's not good things that disciples of Jesus Christ can do in their everyday jobs. It's just to say that there is something of more importance. There is something that matters more than you receiving a paycheck. And it is the work that you do in seeing men and women become disciples of Jesus Christ. And this now changes the purpose of families as well. In the Old Testament and in the cultural mandate, there was this clarity around the fact that what God was doing in the world was centered around this family unit. And yet in the New Testament, we see that now the church is the family of God. That now we are all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That we are now the true family that God has created us to be. And the beauty of this, brothers and sisters, is that if you are a single person here in this church, you are no less valuable as a brother or sister in Christ Jesus. Your value is not in your ability to have children. Your value is not in what you can do within the family unit. You are now a part of a church. You are a part of the family of God by Christ. So Christ has reordered our work. He has reordered our families. And all of this is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how is Jesus doing this? How is Jesus bringing about this recreating power in the world? He's doing this by disciples with changed hearts. Now, if we ask the question, what is a disciple? We would say that a disciple is a friend or follower of Jesus Christ. This is what we say in Story Kids. Your kids know this, that a disciple is a friend or follower, a friend and follower of Jesus Christ. And if we ask the question, how does someone become a disciple of Jesus? It is by the gospel, as Jesus takes our sick hearts and gives us new hearts by grace through faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the way that we talk about this with our kids. When we tell them about what their greatest need is in the gospel, we tell them that it is because each and every one of us have hearts that are sick with sin. And that apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, none of us can be saved. But in the gospel, Christ takes our sick hearts and gives us new hearts by his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus is recreating the world by recreating his people. Brother or sister, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you've been given a new heart As Paul says, you are now a new creation. Christ has recreated you. You have been remade. Your heart has been changed after the manner of Christ Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you cannot change what you truly are apart from Jesus Christ. You can try to change your actions for a while, You can try to change what you do for a moment, but as you always know, you return to your sin. You return to your brokenness. You return to your shame and the sick nature of who each and every one of us are. But in Jesus Christ, you can be given a new heart and new desires and new hopes and new aspirations as he takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart 
of flesh. Brothers and sisters, this is what only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can recreate the world by recreating the hearts of men and women who are disciples of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of this, brothers and sisters, is that we've been given a new heart, but we have been given Christ's heart. In the church, Paul says that we are all of one heart. We have the same heart of Christ Jesus. Though we come from all nations, though we come from all backgrounds, though we come from all life experiences, Christ has given us a new heart. And the unity that we have as we are remade in the image of Christ from the inside out causes us to live lives that now reflect the heart of God. Brother or sister, if you have been given that new heart, you are now one with every person in Christ. And we have the same purpose. We have the same goal. We have the same loves. So brothers and sisters, as our brothers and sisters suffer in Afghanistan, if they are saved by Jesus Christ, they have the same heart. They are called to the same purpose. And we are to suffer with them and live with them, and long for their salvation and life as well. In the church, we come from all different backgrounds, all different nations, and yet we have been unified in the same heart, in the same love, and in the same purpose. And brothers and sisters, this is why the gospel must be central here at our church. More than we're trying to change outcomes, or we're trying to change attitudes, or we're trying to change actions. We are hoping for the work that only God can do in changing hearts. Brothers and sisters, as you train and teach your kids, the tendency will be for you to try and raise obedient legalists. To try and get them to, to, to do what you would have them do and to be what you would have them be and try and change their actions without seeing that what they really need is a change of heart. Brother or sister, our tendency in the church is going to be to try and make everyone fit within some paradigm of what we think it means to be a faithful Christian. That's why we get so frustrated with one another whenever it doesn't seem like Bob is doing what I think he should be doing in Christianity. But what we have to understand is that the deepest need of each and every one of us is changed hearts. Brother or sister, you will never get someone to do what you want them to do. And at the end of all things, is that really what you want for them? Brother or sister, Christ must change their hearts. And apart from that, nothing else will change. And even if it did change... It will have very minimal outcome. So brother or sister, let us see that in the church, our deepest desires for the grace and mercy of Christ Jesus, that only through his death, burial, and resurrection are we saved, are we changed, are we made new, and that it is that same power and recreating purpose of God that can change all things. So let us be people who are serious about this gospel and serious about this work. Here in this church, beloved, are you making disciples? Are you seeking to see the work of Jesus Christ realized through your daily devotion to encourage, to pray for, 
to share the word of God with men and women who have been called to this purpose? Are you daily seeking to encourage the believers around you that they may see Christ more fully, that their hearts may be turned more passionately toward what God is doing in the world? Or are you frustrated and bitter trying to change people in your own power, trying to, trying to move them toward whatever purpose or end you have? Or are you passionately seeking that they should know Jesus Christ more? In your workplace, are you laboring away for a paycheck and not for a purpose that God has called you to? Are you seeing that each and every day of your lives and the job that he has given you is that you might see this recreating purpose of God realized all around you among the person in the cubicle next to you or the person that you have a phone call with to the person who comes into your office to deliver your paper? Are you seeking to see that he should know the purpose and work of Jesus Christ and be changed by the gospel? Brothers and sisters, may this be the purpose that we are called to as the church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the faithfulness with which you have showed us who Jesus Christ is and called us to your purpose and to your work. Lord, I pray this morning that as we hear the word of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would encourage us to be reminded of the faithfulness of Jesus and to live for him. Not for our own ability, not for our own purpose, but God for Jesus and for him alone. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen.